Welcome to the Mind for Success podcast, a space for heart-centered entrepreneurs to live in deep alignment with what matters most, overcome subconscious limitations, and shift their energy into an unstoppable force. Before we get started, take a deep breath, hit the subscribe button, and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to the Mind for Success podcast. I am your host, Kimberly Leving, and I'm excited to introduce Sheila Buzzwell with our to our podcast today. Sheila, I connected with Sheila through a friend and heard about a book she wrote, and that one of the reasons why I brought her on you on here but she is absolutely brilliant. She's the CEO and co-founder of Buzzwell Biomedical. And her book is called This Seat Is This Seat For Me. Is This Seat For Me? Thank you. (laughs) Is This Seat For Me? And it's a brilliant book. It resonates with a lot of people. I'll let her tell you about it. She is brilliant. She has all kinds of things going on in the biomedical field that she's engineering and putting together. And I'm going to let her tell you about that. But I just, I wanted everybody to meet her and to know about her brilliant book as well. So welcome to the show, Sheila. Thank you, Kimberly or Kim. I'll just start by like saying, I came up with this device, the upper mobility it's a long story there, but I'll start to tell that story. So I was in the military, U.S. Army, stationed in Bosnia, was deployed there with the U.S. Army, and I got was injured in an accident. And I got a medical discharge in 2001, and I continued my education. I ended up with an MS in engineering, and I worked for a lot of great companies. But in 2018, my mom fell in Arizona. She broke her hip, and she rehabbed there. But the advances in technology were kind of limited to, I mean, there are awesome advances in technology to the medical space. But if you are conducting any of the activities of daily living, like toileting, your best solution for in today is the same my mom had in 2018 or the same I had in 1998 was a healthcare worker or an entourage of healthcare workers, depending on your size, would accompany you. And as we know, there's fewer healthcare workers after several years of pandemic and burnout and many factors. So I'm not a caregiver. I'm not like, I'm not an arson. Like when I saw my mom in this predicament of losing dignity and when she left, when she entered that facility, when she first had the problem with her hip, she was 110 pounds. She's a tiny woman but she left there 99 pounds because her hip was healed, but she had a lot of other infections. So I figured out how this could be solved. I mean, I've automated devices. I've automated jobs, like my career, my, I mean, I worked for a lot of great companies. That's what I did, but I automated this going to the bathroom activities of daily living with artificial intelligence control device. So (laughs) I entered my background is mechanical engineering, biomedical engineering, but I entered into a space where it was predominant, where it is computer engineering and business. I would ask questions and I would be challenged. Oh, is this imposter syndrome? And I didn't even know what that was. And I wanted to 
understand. I'm just asking questions. But when it was me asking questions, it was labeled imposter syndrome. I ended up writing a book about it because I found out there's many other contributors to this book, but I'm not the only one who faces this problem. So anytime you're in an uncomfortable situation, you experience self-doubt, like anytime you're outside your comfort zone, but it gets labeled differently. And I wrote a whole book about it. So I started a business and then in my spare, everybody who knows, as you do, that it's, you know, you're crazy busy all the time. So in my spare time, I wrote a book anyway. <laughs> and then, yeah. So anyway, the book is great. The We're developing, it takes a machine learning library to develop this product, the upward mobility, and to develop that machine learning library is a whole other problem. So yeah. So tell us a little bit about more about the product, the thing that you're in development where I want to come back around to the book and dive into that a little bit more, but let's just kind of take this side of the, and dig into what you're developing. Because obviously that was inspired by the experience your mother had. Yeah, it very much was. And I think I was in the right place at the right time. Like when I, okay, I was 21 when I was in an accident and I was in the situation and I wasn't, I don't know. I'm sure everybody who's been 21 knows your twenties. You're not, you know what I mean? You're not present. You're not mindful of what's going on around you, but I was filled with empathy for my mom's situation. And it was my mom. Like everybody has an idea of what their mom is. And I was in a unique situation. I wasn't a caregiver. I wanted to burn that place down, but it wasn't the place. It wasn't the healthcare workers because they're well-intentioned. Like nobody enters that field without wanting to help people. But it was just, there's not enough. They're expected to do a lot, but there's this fear about artificial intelligence or machine learning is specifically what my device will use. And there's not this approach to bridge that gap of we have this lack of people we need machines to work like people and we need to understand so i first invented this device and i was perfectly positioned with this knowledge base and with this empathy and understanding of what it is like to be in that position after that i went and talked to a lot of healthcare workers and a lot of people at every stage of the, I, I want to say healthcare business, but not everybody's in the business side of it. Like right. it's very weird that how it's, there's people who are people centric who work in that industry, but then there's people who are business centric. It's not a charity. They're there to make money. And it's kind of weird. They look at things differently. But everybody gets sick, everybody, and everybody has a mom and every, you know what, I, like everybody's a patient at some time or another. So, and as a lot of baby boomers are able to say, you're going to be in a position more and more and a good solution is going to be harder to come by. So right, we're studying things like self-driving cars or... I'm trying to think of applications of AI, chatbots, and like everybody thinks chat GPT or, <laughs> which is actually better. When I used to mention this device or try to explain it before, people would think Terminator. 
And that (laughs) GPT is much better, right? Like (laughs) not exactly right, but not a like devastatingly villainous character anyway. So I, I don't mean to please ask me questions because I love talking about Oh, yes. Yeah, no, I would love to hear. So, so where are you in this? Because I know you had, we talked before about this, like you had a lot of research in developing this product. And I know there's some AI pieces to it. Like, just tell us a little bit about where you're at with the development of it. So there's, it's a multiple part development. There is mechanical device is being designed in Houston by a very good designer, Jermaine Sims. He's the lead engineer, but also I would designed several. He's better than me, first of all, but he is able to, we look at things differently and he's doing that part of it. The control system uses these sensors and a harness and the sensors right now, there's one in the middle of the back, the low back and the left and the right of the buckle. And I went out during COVID. It was awesome to go out and be like, stand up and sit down and like capture your motion with these sensors and wearing this harness. And I had the harness with embedded with these sensors. I first made the first prototype myself and got a few samples and like figured out where to place them. And I got over a hundred samples of people across the age spectrum wearing this and connecting to the scenario of people standing up and sitting down. And that's a hundred is the minimum you'd need is 300. So, but there's some commonality and we had data scientists look at it and there is commonality. Like we had a health healthcare advisory board at the time. Now we just have an advisory board, but the healthcare advisory board said that's the most important scenario people standing up and sitting down to capture. Most people fall in rehabilitation hospitals and hospitals wide between 11 p.m. and 1 a.m. There's a lot that happens there. But in the middle of the night, people have to go to the bathroom. There's a shift change. There are a lot of things, a lot of factors, but a lot of people fall and get injured during that time. And what they're falling doing is actually, they make it to the toilet usually, but then they don't make it back. So and they know that there's ways they know that, but to, the way this device would work is the sensor would have to be able to detect that you're not stable and stabilize you. The sensors would tell the mechanical device you're not stable and, or you need help. So the first way it would try to help you is if you're just standing up and I'm, my interpretive dance is awesome, but when you stand up, right, you just fluidly stand up. Uh, you can visually see in the samples I've taken, and I have exactly one person the day they got out of the hospital that was unstable. They were very erratic in their motion. And you can see that in the sensor data. So right now you can see it specifically the data scientists were like the sensor in the middle of the back. It's between your, it, like that's the one that's between your shoulder blades is very indicative of behavior. So it, again, I get too technical. I go down a rabbit hole, but it's got a gyroscope and an accelerometer. Each sensor has three of each, three gyroscopes and three accelerometers. And you can tell what that motion looks like. It's erratic in that one person versus all the others. It's very smooth. Like the accelerometers look like this. Uh-huh. 
have people stand up and sit down three times versus this. Okay. And so you can visually see. So we're looking at a computer being able to pick that up. The data scientists, they were across the globe <laughs> doing this, but looking at the data, just the numbers, and they did what is called a heat map. And it showed that there's one sensor in the middle of the back that can show that. Now, different geometries, if you can imagine somebody getting up and sitting down that are nine months pregnant or like in just close your eyes and imagine somebody who's nine months pregnant getting up out of a chair or sitting down out of a chair versus somebody who's just got a, I don't know, a beer belly or something. Right, yeah, it's different. different. Like your center of mass affects it differently. And how quickly that changes affects your stability. Mm. And so it's got to be learning. It's got to, that control system. My dad is, he's going to be a, have a birthday next month, but he literally wouldn't use a device that would stop him too much. Like if it, if, so it's got to be very precise. So, okay. Okay. So it detects where I guess they're weaker, whatever would before they're about to fall and it detects that. And then it supports them. Yeah. That's, or I'm not sure if support is the right well, word. But. Yeah. I'm not sure that support is the right word, but like a little kid, you've got kids. So, you know, that when they're yeah. learning how to walk, if they're stumbling, you pick them up, right. Or you help them. And the corrective action is going to be different for different people. Right. So, and I do the looking up thing, but when I'm thinking, but like, and explaining things is not my strong suit. So please. <laughs> it's okay. No, you're doing great. But like when you have somebody who's unstable, like a toddler and you just pick them up, you know, they can regain their they don't, they can figure out what to do with their legs or get them under them and then they're fine. Or if they need more help than what the device is able to do, like, let's say worst case scenario, something has happened catastrophic and it need more, needs more help than that, than what the device can give you. Cause the device can just help get your feet under you. And if you need oxygen or you need something else, it lets the healthcare worker know your position and what help Got you it. need. So, okay. Okay. So it's smart learning. That's where the AI piece comes in. So it's actually connecting and letting someone know what's going on. Oh, there's going to be a lot of AI and it gets yeah. complicated fast, but specifically, so the most analogous thing I'm going to say is like machine learning algorithms that are used for planting. It, if you want, instead of keep keeping track or taking a picture of all the weeds, it says, this is the plant we're planting at all the stages of growth. Is this the plant we want to keep? And is it planted where we expect? And if it, the answer to either of those questions is no, then they weed it mechanically. And it saves on a lot of chemicals being put in the earth. Oh, okay. So the idea of these sensors is the machine learning algorithm is going to say, okay, does this look like, and I'm using air quotes, I don't know if on a podcast that comes through, but does this look like, or is the sensor outputting what we expect normal motion to look like? And if the answer is no, then the corrective action is then. And the corrective action might be if it's an old person, they control lower to the ground. 
because if their bones are like chalk, they don't want to jerk them up. Right. That has to be all. <laughs> That's why upward mobility is the whole device. It can be used for like multiple people, but a harness will be needed for each person. And the device will know who's in the device by the harness. Sure. And there's a, how it acts and how it responds will yeah. be determined. Yeah, that makes sense. It makes me think of every time I get in my daughter's car and it remembers exactly the, you know, like the yeah. seat and the seat realigns. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. That part's not, I mean, revolutionary. Right. 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 That's been around. And honestly, I'm pointing to my Apple watch, but like the light, my watch can tell if I'm outside walking my dog or if I'm walking on a treadmill because there's right. a huge library it can reference. There's no library for this harness or for standing up and sitting down. There's no reference point. So once we develop that reference point, it's not like it's unheard of. Right. You're just developing the library for it. Yeah. So then it will know or it, prompt or know what to do next to help the person. We are talking about this for a while, but that is exactly what I'm doing. However, I'm not great at the words, even though I helped with that book or I wrote that book, but I'm not great at the words. When I tried to explain this to my sister, she's like acted like I was asking her, my daughter and my, her daughter <laughs> and her husband to like contribute to my Amway pyramid scheme. <laughs> it was weird. And then it was hard too during the pandemic to go up to a young man because I needed across the age spectrum, males and females and young females. I got a lot of them because I mean, I am female and I got middle-aged women sure. pretty readily, but there's no way to not be weird to go up to a young man and be like, stand up and sit down for science. It'll be great. Wear this <laughs> harness. I mean, yeah, it was weird. <laughs> so, so let's talk about that a little bit. Cause on this podcast, I like to hear about the journey a little bit, like what you were going through as you were developing this. And I know the book was in the mix and that, so I'd love to hear, you know, a little bit about that, but what was going through your mind as you were, as you, I mean, I know you're continuing to develop it, but like what were, what have been the best or the, I guess the ups and downs, like what's been the biggest challenge through this? I think the biggest, one of the, just my comfort zone is totally a dot to me now. The most effective way to get specimens of people's motion standing up and sitting down has been to cold call mm. and realizing that somebody saying no or hanging up on you was, that was going to happen. And it's just hard. It was a learning curve to get that. Yeah, but yeah. to be appreciative of the people who said, yes, there was a Navy recruiter who said Navy, the army guy, which I was in the army hung up on me. Uh -huh. Like, like he did, like once he found out I got a medical discharge and I was middle-aged, he didn't even want to talk to me, but the arm, the Navy recruiter, he ended up giving a motion sample, but I got in the door talking to the Navy recruiter. And I think that was a very valuable experience. Like you know, failing and figuring out, okay, what could I do better? And then it was brutal. And I talked about this in the book to learn engineering was not the most important. What? I spent my life dedicated to product development. What do you mean? It's not the most important anyway, those two things. Yeah. Yeah. That's so talk about that. Tell us a little more about that. What you learned about 
engineering not being the most important. So I guess it was late in 2019, I had the idea for the product and I had gone through, this is before the pandemic hit, but I had gone through several iterations and I figured out, okay, this is how I'm going to make it. This is how I'm going to build it. I talked to all these people, but I was like, there's business structures and foundations that matter more. And I know that now, but at the time I was like, no, I did this FEA analysis. I did finite element analysis. Sorry. I talk acronyms, even like I revert to that, but that was a hard, my brain works like an engineer and I have a bit of the elitism that engineers are subject to. Like I would, business math is easy and it's really not easy. It's all variables. I like, can attest it is not easy for me. Like you <laughs> so just, yes. Okay. Tam, Sam, Som. Yeah. In theory, it's easy, but you got to pick one and go with it. And how do you pick one? You got to pick one that fits. And I'm trying to pull up numbers and I'm like, I don't know. But like, also when I did my, so it was, there was a lot of brutal lessons the first year. The first time I put together a slide deck, it was like, I put it together and my score mentor was like, this is very nice, but I have to ask, are you colorblind? Cause you have like 15 different colors, they clash and all your fonts are different. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I didn't pay attention to that. And then like, I thought product I would build it and people would come. And I think there is a lot of understanding that comes from simply un- knowing that you need to value what other people bring to the table. Engineers are so important, but so are salespeople. So are marketing. So, I mean, you need to value what other people do, right? right. Like, oh, it, absolutely. That sounds basic, but it's such a truth. And I think if we did that more, imposter syndrome wouldn't be a thing. Yeah. Like, I mean, people, I just, I go off on a tangent here, but like my dad is incredibly smart and incredibly tough and blah, blah, blah. Like he went to Vietnam, but the day he left for Vietnam, mom found out she was pregnant with her seventh of eight kids, eight a person. She took care of six human beings and my sister split her face open. (laughs) Like there's all sorts of things my mom dealt with. And it's like, and every day she saw, you know, she heard the news, she saw it on the TV and she had to deal with that. And she had little people looking at her and she had to act like it was no big deal. And I think I have been both deployed and I have had somebody I love deployed. And I can tell you firsthand, it's really hard to have somebody you love deployed. So to act normal, knowing that your reaction is going to be um, reverberated multiple times is so hard, but there's no way you can convey that and get a medal. Like, right. I mean, like people anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That's the harder lessons of life. You make me think of my very first business, just talking about how you don't realize the different parts. My very first business I started when I quit my corporate job and it was, I like to, it's, it almost sounds silly to me now, but it wasn't silly, but I like to bake. So I made these 
baskets of cookies and things. And my whole thing was, I'm just going to make these baskets. They were like gift baskets and realtors are going to give them to their home buyers. Like that was my big idea. Except that kind of like you with, I didn't have any kind of clue that I would have to sell them. I just thought people would just come. Right. Yeah. 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 And I mean, it was a short-lived business, maybe six months because I quickly learned that wasn't what something I wanted to do. You know, I cut my lot. Actually, I think I came, did come out ahead in the whole thing, but I didn't understand the value of possibly building a team around it or, you know, how, you know, the sales part and the marketing part and the, you know, the doing part, like those are all different hats that if you're doing it alone that you either have to wear or you have to team up with people in order to make it all work. Yeah. And it's like, you need having, I'm sure they were wonderfully delicious cookies that smell great, but yeah, like so many moving parts you just don't see. Oh, I just thought everybody would come and want to buy them. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. I totally, <laughs> and I think it makes sense when you're on this end of it, but there's no way you can explain that to somebody unless they've done it. Yes. I mean, there's a lot of programs here locally. That's what they do. They explain it to people and people are like, well, I mean, I did Slew i twice where I interviewed a bunch of people and there's no person I talked to who didn't think it was a good idea and I didn't learn from it. But at the same time, I thought it's all product development. I didn't think, I didn't understand the business side yeah. of it. Yeah. And I honestly, I think that's a really common theme with business owners and entrepreneurs in general, whether or not they're, you know, most of the people I talk to are non-engineers, but whatever it is, they get into whatever they're doing because they love it and they just want to do that thing. Yeah. They just want to do that thing. And then they think, oh, the people are just going to come. Yeah. But it doesn't work that way. <laughs> like it's you, so have, you have to develop yourself into being sort of the CEO of it all, the orchestrator right. of it all. Yeah. I appreciate all the moving parts so much better. And I think the higher power that I believe in, I mean, everybody probably but made me an engineer. And I think when there's somebody else to do the roles, my, like my natural state is that, but that's not the role I play now. And yeah. 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 Anyway. So, so, so let's pivot a little bit. Cause I think it's perfect timing to, to tell us about your book. So, and this is part of the business side. I met and talked to, a, I was furious when people would be like, you have imposter syndrome. And first of all, I read about imposter syndrome and it was all about you. And first of all, my master's degree is very materials oriented. And I'm like, I don't have imposter syndrome. I know that I know what I'm about, right? Like I, career wise, I don't question that. So I started writing this book thinking I knew I didn't have imposter syndrome, but the truth is. I have it, just not the stereotypical way. But I go to this engineering, no, entrepreneurship bootcamp for veterans. And I met just really amazing people. And this is a common thing. And then I started talking to other people I knew when I came back. And I was like, oh, it's something that a lot of people face. And I thought, 
this was a good way to tell it, but I thought it was more, this is a short book, but I thought it was more impactful to tell it from many different angles and many different sides. Like for instance, I tell the story about the, this story, this book includes stories from various people from various backgrounds. Like for instance, Peter is a male nurse. And I have taken elderly people to the emergency room and they always assume the female doctor is the nurse, the male. And I've always put myself in the place of the female doctor who's assumed to be a nurse. I have never thought about how the male nurse is, how their career was affected or how their, how they viewed themselves. And Kate Mansker talks about how like she was never challenged or questioned herself professionally she's an engineer also until she had to travel for work as a working mother as a new mother and mm -hmm. she had to get breast milk through TSA and it's like how, a working mother traveling without their child how to explain that to somebody and how she like there's so many layers of that's a hard thing to do to leave your kid anyway but then that was also a hard thing like who do you ask you ask my husband's also an engineer, but he would have no idea. Not only would he have no idea, he'd have no idea who to ask because we don't have any kids, right? So I wouldn't have any idea. Like there's so many layers of, you know, what do you do? And there's a lot of ways in which that monster of imposter syndrome or self-doubt can creep up. And you look at your surroundings and you see how you fit in or how you don't. And depending on the day and depending how you feel in your job, it can sneak up on you. And it just, there's, in this book, there's seven other people besides me. So eight different stories of how it just affects people in different ways. And how they yeah. overcome it. I mean, that's part of it is just to offer practical solutions on how to overcome it. And there's little things that people can do every day. But there's also, it's a challenge, like every day to work and to, you know, to overcome and yeah. it's up on you. Yeah. Personal growth is definitely a journey. Yeah. And it's not something that you can stop and start. I remember early on in my journey, I used to think, I remember looking at somebody that was at a seminar that I went to and they had repeat, they're like, oh yeah, this is my third or fourth seminar. And I thought, oh, it must not be working for them. That's what I thought in my mm -hmm. head. And I'm like, now I know, oh, now I know there's just layers. You know, people don't like, it's a journey. Literally there's layers to people and there's different things that they peel back. So there's definitely a journey. It's not all one check and you learn, list. You learn different things because you're a different person. I've probably read Atomic Habits from James Clear like multiple yes. times and I get different stuff from it. Yes. Every I, cause I need different stuff from it. I'm looking for different stuff. From it. I remember that it's good, but you know, sometimes I'm totally working on different, developing different skills or different muscles or whatever. Yeah. yeah we're all in different places. So it's a good point. I have a little book that I, you know, I have different ones that I'll read just for inspiration in the morning. And I had been reading like the same page, like over and over again, it was like probably four or five days. And then I picked it up one morning and there was like one word that I was like, I missed that. And then like a whole new insight came. So yeah, I'm with you on that. 
it means a different thing to you. Like there's some times where it's just like, oh yeah. I don't think I'm going to say, I did not appreciate my parents until I'm a certain, you know, until I got older Awesome they were. And I think that there's a lot that analogy works in many ways. There's different things we pick up from how or different things we appreciate differently. I could have had ice cream for dinner as an adult. I never do. Right. (laughs) And I thought dry wine was gross when I was 20. I totally can't handle sweet wine now. So anyway. Yeah, 100%. So, so tell us what's the best way to find your book, to connect with you. Tell us a little bit about that. So my book is available in all the places, but I think the easiest is just to get on Amazon. And if you just Google, is the seat taken or no, is the seat for me? It's just shows up and you can Google it and it'll but it's I'm not sure we have a link in this, in the show notes too. So for those of you listening, we'll make sure there's a link there. Thank you. But, and you can find me by just, I'm on LinkedIn. I have an email that's in the book. It's Sheila.Buswell at BuswellBiomedical.com. But I mean, the easy, and I have a Facebook and Twitter account, but the easiest way is just to find me on all the things and just, or just Google my name and Sheila Buswell, and I'll show up. Yes. Yeah. So I love hearing about your journey and I'm excited to hear, you know, about the development of this product and how much, I mean, I just know that's going to probably help a lot of people, especially with all the upcoming baby. That's what I think about the, all the baby boomers coming. Up yeah. And it's, there's going to be more shortages probably of staffing and there's going to be more need for this type of device and a library that's going to grow because they've even named it the silver tsunami because like there's some ridiculous number of people every year who turn 65. And as you age, there's much more of all the samples I've taken. One lady, the day she got her knee replaced, she was, she had two healthcare workers, you know, and Mm -hmm. she fell with two healthcare workers there because people don't have a handle. Wow. like the, she didn't know until like whether she'd have to have her knee replaced, her knee replacement replaced. I guess that's how you put it until it happened. And as people get older, that's going to happen more and more. And there's fewer healthcare workers. Like the idea of having two healthcare workers to help you to the bathroom or to any of the activities of daily living is, yeah. So I think it's a very, I'm very passionate about it. I've had a lot of great jobs. I worked for a lot, of, you know, I had a 401k and vacation and whatever, but this is something that's meaningful to me so that yeah. nobody else's mom is in the situation and I'm desperate, was I'm desperate and I didn't burn that place down. So that's good. I mean, <laughs> wouldn't even know how to said there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it shows your passion shows in, you know, just the way you speak about it. So I just want to say thank you for being on today. And to our listeners, go find her book, Is This Seat for Me? And connect with Sheila. Thank you again for being on today. Thank you. Thanks, Kim. Thank you for listening today. I want to invite you to download my free guide at resources.kimberlylebing.com slash unlock. It's called Unlocking Your Authentic Self, Five Key Steps to Identify and Overcome 
hidden limitations in your life and business and realize your highest potential. And again, that free guide can be found at resources.kimberlyleving.com slash unlock. Thank you again for listening today.